I'm Ashley. I'm Jen. And I'm Sarah. And we are Unabridged, the podcast where teachers take on books. Join us each week for bookish episodes and check out our website, unabridgedpod.com, where you can find lots of new bookish content every week. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at unabridgedpod and message us there or see our website to get plugged into the unabridged community. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Unabridged. This is all about the backlist. Today, before we get started, I just want to remind you that we do have bookish merch that is really, really fun through our store, Tee Public. The best way to get there is to go to our website, unabridgedpod.com, and then go to support us. And the link is there. I will not try to say the link because it is quite long, but that will take you to the Tee Public store where you can get some super soft t-shirts. We have cute tote bags. There are phone cases, anything your heart could desire to help support Unabridged. So some of it has our logo on it, but then we also have other designs that are just related to love for all bookish things. So there's quite a variety there to choose from. And of course, we would appreciate your support. All right. To get started today, we're going to do our bookish check-in. Ashley, what are you reading? So this is one I've been excited to read since it came out. I am. I actually just finished this this morning, and it is V.E. Schwab's The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. I have wanted to read this one, I mean, essentially since it was published, and I know Jen read it quite early on. I don't remember mm-hmm. if you read yeah, it before. A, Did you have I had her? an e-galley, yeah. Okay. So Jen absolutely loved it, but then when it came out, it was widely loved, as I'm sure a lot of you know, listening. And so I've been wanting to read it just because I'd heard that it was really great. But I also was torn. I really wanted to read this one in print. And so I just kept waiting. I had not gotten around to it. But the library had it on audiobook. And I put it on hold quite a while ago. And then, you know, the joy of holds that all of a sudden it (laughs) came in. And I was like, hey, I get to listen to this book. And Julia Whalen narrates it. And I did not know, I, I really, she wasn't so much on my radar before, but I listened to Malibu Rising thanks to Libro FM and their ALC program. And she did that narration and I loved it. And so then when I saw that this was, I recognized her voice when this one started and I was like, oh my gosh, I love that narrator. And so now I've listened to two of hers and I just think she's a great audiobook narrator. So, and she has quite a few. I look, she has quite a few that she's narrated. So I will be looking out for her in the future. So that's Julia Whalen for audiobook lovers. And she's been a great narrator for me to discover. But anyway, this one centers on Addie LaRue, Adeline LaRue. And it is a very fascinating story of her life, which starts 300 years prior. And we find her in her youth. And she is... So she's in this tiny town in France with her family, and she does not want to be married to this person in the town that she's been promised to. And in a fit of desperation, she goes out into the woods and prays to be spared this fate. And she'd been warned as a child by this like guide basically who is an older woman who had a big influence on her and her young life to never pray to the gods after dark. And so there's kind of this ominous feeling of that. So then we see this moment where she makes this plea 
and the darkness answers and they work out a deal. And the deal is that she can live untethered as she is forever for as long as she wants, basically, but she will never leave any mark on anything for the rest of time. And so that is the premise. And I think part of what is really fascinating about the book is that Addie has endured this curse, essentially, for these hundreds of years. But Schwab does such a great job of moving through time and through the epochs of the world and hitting on like major historical events that we all know, but of course did not experience ourselves. And Addie's there for all of them. And so I think that is really fascinating. And that's part of what I really enjoy about it. But I think also at the core of the book is this question of what does it mean to live and what gives life meaning. And I think that that is why it speaks to so many people. I mean, I think as I was listening, you know, when books are like so, so popular and then you're listening or reading after a lot of the hoopla, (laughs) you're also like, for me anyway, I'm also like, I mean, I loved it. I loved it. Like I said, I just finished this this morning. I was totally captivated. I couldn't wait to get back to it, which is hard for me with audiobooks to feel that way, even if they're great. So I feel like that speaks to how much I enjoyed it. But the whole time I also was thinking, why do so many people love this? (laughs) And I mean, I think that was part of what stood out to me is just that I think that it speaks to an important question that I think a lot of us contemplate which is that, you know, what what gives life meaning and what makes our lives fulfilling. And so that is a question that Addie really struggles with. No one can say her name. No one can remember her the second they leave her present. And so I just think there's this really interesting idea of memory and the way that we connect to other people and how important that is to how we, even though it's painful, it can be painful. It's also really important to how we enjoy our lives. And so we just see that because Addie has that absence of it. And then I also love the relationship at the core between her and the darkness and how she resists, but also can't stop thinking about the darkness who she comes to call Luke. And I just think all of that is really fascinating also, like that kind of magnetic force and the way that you want to resist, but then feel that you can't. I thought all of that was just really fascinating. And then I don't want to give any spoilers, but then as the story progresses, there's another really interesting plot that becomes really significant in the story where someone can remember her. And everything kind of unpacks from there. And then that part with the character who gets involved there, I mean, I thought all of that was really brilliant too. I thought his story is just absolutely fascinating. And so I didn't see that coming. I thought it was a really rich book before I got to that part. And then I was like, oh, this is interesting. (laughs) I was not expecting this. And so, um, yeah, so I think it's been, I really, really enjoyed it. And like I said, I just finished it and I highly recommend it. It did not disappoint, which says something because um, that one is, I think both of you have read it, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yes. I feel like, like it has been widely loved, which means it, you know, you have high expectations, but it was great. So V.E. Schwab's The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. Yeah. That one made me want to read all of her backlist. So, yeah. and I have not managed to do that yet because she, she has a lot of books out there. She does. I thought it was so brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, yeah. I thought the craft of it was fascinating. And then, and that's what I kept thinking. It was like, the story, like the question at the center is really interesting, but I also think it is just really good storytelling. 
yes. really good storytelling and that that's part of what makes it so enjoyable for the reader. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Sarah, what are you reading? I am reading Holly Jackson's A Good Girl's Guide to Murder. I have been wanting to read this for a very long time and I started it. It is it centers around Pippa, which her name she that everyone calls her Pip. She is a senior and she is doing her senior project on an unsolved sort of murder that happened in her town five years prior. And I listened to the first season of Serial about Adnan Saeed and the story of that murder and his conviction and all that stuff. And this, I'm only in the very beginning of this book and it's given me a lot of those type of vibes of Serial season one. So basically what has happened is the there was this disappearance five years prior of this really popular high school senior named Andy Bell. And she, her boyfriend is, was Sal Singh and she disappears basically. And two days later, Sal kills himself and people basically, he's basically accused of the, the murder and that's how the case is closed. So, Pip does not think that it was investigated as much as it should have been. And she's not convinced that Sal is the murderer. And even though all the police police people and all of the community has already written him off as a murderer. So she is doing this senior thesis to kind of poke around. And that's where where I am. It's very, I mean, like I said, it has a lot of vibes of Adnan Saeed's story. And I am really enjoying it. I'm really interested to see where it's going. I got it on audio from my library and there's a full cast of characters. So all of the interviews that Pip does with different people that are related to Sal's story, it sounds like she's actually doing the recording. So it's a very like, it's not your normal audiobook production. It's it's a cast of voice actors who are doing it. So it's really interesting and I'm really enjoying it so far. And I'm really interested to see where the story goes. And like, if you've listened to serial season one, you know, that story is ongoing that based on the information that was brought up during serial. So I'm curious to see if this will be closed at the end uh, if the story will close or if it's going to still leave things up in the air, because it definitely has those vibes. So that is Holly Jackson's A Good Girl's Guide to Murder. I'll be reading that one soon as well. Yeah, (laughs) I can't wait. It sounds so good. It is really good. I like it so far. Very interesting. Jen, what are you reading now? So I am in the midst of Patrick Radden Keefe's Empire of Pain, The Secret History of the Sackler Dynasty. I put this one on hold for two reasons. One, I loved his previous book, Say Nothing, A True Story of Murder and Memory in Northern Ireland, which was absolutely amazing nonfiction. And I am fascinated by the Sackler family. And ever since we read Dope Sick, I have just wanted to know more about the causes of the opioid crisis and the Sacklers are just woven through every bit of it. I, and I will just say this is every bit as brilliant as Say Nothing was. The Sackler family and the course their lives have taken and the way that they exerted power in multiple spheres and some of it they sought publicity So they are philanthropists who have donated money to a number of museums throughout the world, 
including the Met and the Smithsonian. And in those instances, their names are all over everything. But then they have, they own Purdue Pharma, which started as Purdue Frederick. And when they bought that business, they did not change the name to have Sackler associated with it. They are wrapped up in marketing and advertising companies and their names are hidden. And so that is one of the parts that I have just really been thinking about is the way that power often exists in silence and in secrecy and the way it has been so important to them to keep their name undercover for this part of their wealth. And in other places, they have sought fame and publicity and credit and tried to build their reputation in one sphere and hide it in another. Yeah. So, and it is much more complex. And Radden keeps us this amazing job of building up individual, I, I want to call them characters, but of course they're people, but you understand these individuals in the family and what each of their individual goals are, but also the idea that it is a dynasty and that even when they have separate journeys, they are all contributing toward this central story that has been so insidious in the history of the United States and of the world. So yeah, it is a brilliant book. It is pretty depressing. And it's just anytime I read one of these sort of exposés or these sort of journalistic accounts of something, it amazes me the intentional choices people make to do things that they know will harm others in search of profit. And those are the parts of the story that are most horrible. Because I think we understand when someone doesn't see a side effect or something coming and they make a bad decision accidentally but when they say we care more about profit than about people outright, I, it it just fires me up. So it's a brilliant read. You, I would say you have to be in a certain headspace to read a book like this. And it is dense. The endnotes, it's about 450 pages plus about 50 pages of endnotes. So it is well-researched and Radden Keefe is so thorough and just a really great storyteller as well. So yeah, that is Patrick Radden Keefe's Empire of Pain, The Secret History of the Sackler Dynasty. Man, that sounds fascinating. It is. Horrifying, awful. <laughs> there are a lot of <laughs> adjectives that you can apply to this one, but it is definitely fascinating and a lot of other things too. <laughs> All right. Well, we are going to shift over to our main discussion, hopefully on a little higher note than that one was. And today we are doing all about the backlist. And if those of you who are joining us for our unabridged podcast reading challenge this year, the books that we're recommending would be great for the category read a book published before 2000. So we all made sure to pick backlist books that were before 2000. So if you're searching for books to read, we have some great picks for you. Sarah, what's your pick for this category? So I struggled a little bit with this because I realized I hadn't read a ton prior to 2000 that I really wanted to share because I mean, prior to 2000, I was a college student. So I read a lot of business marketing books. And then prior to that, I was in uh, grade school. So I read and I would, and I did a lot of, you know, classics and things like that. So I struggled to figure out what I wanted to recommend, but I landed on Lois Lowry's The Giver. And I decided to do this one. It won a Newbery, I think in 1994. 
And I feel like this book and this and its subsequent companion novels, they are kind of the starting off point to the dystopian craze <laughs> that hit the early 2000s and on. So like, I think that if you read The Giver, you can see the origins of The Hunger Games and some of the other really popular series books. So I think that this is a good one to put in your repertoire. And it's a good because culturally, it's widely taught in school, it kind of started off the dystopian young adult genre, in my opinion. And it's I think it's a solid series. So The Giver, which is the first book out of four, is about Jonas. And he lives in a society that has been kind of flattened out has <laughs> been flattened out so they are there's no pain but there's no joy there's no everybody is just kind of even keel there's no color everybody wears the same drab garments and each person in the society has a specific job and you get that job you're assigned that job at, when you turn 12 so Jonas is 11 coming up on his 12th birthday and he is going to be at the ceremony of 12 and get his job. He is given a really prestigious job and um, which is the receiver of memory. And he works with the giver who transmits the memories to him because nobody in the society really has like any type of collective memory. So the receiver receives all the memories from the giver. It's a little complicated. <laughs> I mean, it's not as complicated when you read it, but it's a little bit complicated to explain in a succinct way. So also in the society, when you get older or if you are a problem person, you are released. And everyone believes in the society that you're released into this place called elsewhere, which is any place outside of the society. But what really happens is when you're released, you're you're put to death or you're you die. So all that being said, this child who is a problem child comes to live with Jonah's family for a brief amount of time. And Jonas creates this bond with this child, Gabriel. And he then finds out that he is that Gabriel is actually going to be released the next day. So he makes this plan to leave the society and go to elsewhere and save Gabriel from being released. So that's the premise. It's it's very dystopian. It's futuristic. It has tons of twists and turns. It's a lot easier to understand the society if you read the book. I hope that I haven't <laughs> confused anyone, but that but I mean that's the premise of the story. And the, the main unfurling of the story happens after Gabriel and Jonas try to leave the society and like their adventure and how things go for them outside of the society. So that is the book. I think it, like I said, I think it's a great cultural touchstone, especially for young adult literature. And I think it is a very good book to add to your bookish repertoire. So that is <laughs> Lois Lowry's The Giver. And I think the other books in the series are strong picks as well. I love that one. I had never read the other books in the series until just a few years ago. And I really enjoyed all of them. Some of them are very sad. I remember mm -hmm. being devastated by the second one. And so, or maybe the third, I don't know. I just remember crying in one of one of them a good bit. <laughs> yeah. 
So anyway, I think that that I think that's a great series, and mm-hmm. again, like kind of the kickoff of the dystopian craze, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Ashley, what is your pick? So one that I read recently that had been on my list for a long time and I'd been wanting to get to is Jhumpa Lahiri's Interpreter of Maladies. So I think when we think about the backlist and we're going back pre-2000, there are a lot that I haven't read that I think are iconic and really important that I want to read. And so I'm interested to think about more about this category because I think there are some others I'd like to revisit. But this one was one that I'd wanted to read and I'm really glad that I did and I just hadn't gotten to it you know, until recently. And I'm, I'm so glad and I think it's a great one to use for this category. So this is actually a series of short stories and each short story stands alone and really has, I think Lahiri is very talented at crafting a short story. I think that that's hard to do. We've talked about that in the podcast before, but just like novels and long form writing is one thing. And then I think poetry is very different, but then short stories are really their own craft. And I think it's hard for novelists to do short stories well, but Lahiri does that really well here. And so you have these distinctive stories. They all connect to India and Pakistan, that region of the world. But then some of them take place entirely in the US. Some of them cross over multiple continents. And so I think what's really beautiful is just seeing the diaspora and the ways that that is in the story and you see in the different stories and you see the different characters Things like one of the stories that I found really impactful was a young child who's in the U.S. with her family, but the divide that is happening between India and Pakistan is taking place at the time that the story is written. So the family and an older a visitor of the family who becomes somebody who she admires and feels very connected to, he's separated from his family, his his wife and his children who are experiencing the division. And I just thought all of that was really beautiful, like just showing how, of course, those ripples impact the world. And that even though the girl who's kind of at the center of that story, even though it's pretty far removed from her, it has these profound impacts. And so you just can see the ways that, you know, these historical events are impacting people around the world who have connections to the community that is at the forefront of those events happening. And so I think that's really powerful, but you also just see Lahiri is really great at looking at relationships and doing that very quickly. And she, the descriptions are really gorgeous. She's a beautiful writer. I mean, I think her descriptions are really powerful, but I feel like what stays with me, I mean, there's an opening story that is really, it's just a couple and they, the whole story is seeing this couple's relationship after the loss of a child. And it's just like unpacking that. And I think in that moment, it's this tiny little, you know, you're looking at just these two people in the world and getting this really in-depth look at them in this moment together. And yet, I think throughout the story, you're seeing how there's a connection between these larger events that happen, the ways that those impact communities, and then how that unfolds for individuals. And so I think we see that. So like I said, I'm amazed by the story. Like, I'm amazed by this book because I think the stories span a lot of time, a lot of geographical locations, a lot of different people. They address things like class. They address things like the impact of personal events, like I said, like the loss of the child in the opening scene and how like that 
impacts this couple and then you watch things evolve from there. You see that in a lot of the different stories. And I just think it's really powerful. And also there are several times where you see the way that people can turn on each other. And so you think that there's a community feeling or that people are coming to take care of each other or things like that. And then, and more than one of the stories that does not evolve in the way that, you know, we might hope that it would. And I think she just really explores that in a really meaningful way. So I think it's a lot about human nature and it's a lot about how things like class and birth location and stuff like that impacts who people become and the way they treat other people. So I thought it was really beautiful. There are some pretty somber parts, but I do think there's also some hopeful threads in it. And I think it ends on a pretty hopeful note. But again, I think that she's really exploring a lot about human nature and how that plays out in those smaller scales and then in the larger scale as well. So again, that is Jhumpa Lahiri. I want to read all of her work. I plan to go back and read some more of her backlist, but I thoroughly enjoyed this one and it is Interpreter of Maladies. That made me want to reread that. So I <laughs> I feel like I think I've read most of her books, but it has been a long time because I read them as they were coming out. And as you were talking, I realized that a lot of, I don't remember a lot of those stories. There were a few. I was like, oh yeah, but then I've, yeah. Anyway, that is definitely one I would love to revisit. I haven't read any of hers, I don't think. Some of her others are, I think most of her others are novels as far as I recall. I think so too. I'm not positive, but I think so. But yeah, but I mean, again, these are, the stories are really well crafted. And I think that was part of what stood out to me is just, there is the story in it that's actually the interpreter of maladies that I think that story alone is really phenomenal and stays with you. And so there, that one's really powerful, but then there are all these others that are included as well that again, I think are just really well woven. So what about you, Jen? What's your recommendation? So I revisited an old favorite for this category. It's Louise Erdrich's Tracks. And I had not read this one since grad school. So in grad school, I read it several times. I wrote a paper on it. And it's not very long. It's just around 200, a little bit over 200 pages. I'd read it in college as well. And it was my absolute favorite at the time of Erdrich's works. But of course, since then, she's been quite prolific. And I've kept up with her, with all of her books. But I had not revisited this one. So it's been 20 years. And it just knocked me out all over again. She, It reminded me of why I first fell in love with her work. And so this is the third in this sort of interwoven set of books about a community that centers on the Ojibwa reservation, but it includes German immigrants and it travels through time. So she has very modern novels set in that community. This one goes back and spans 1912 to 1924. So it is more a historical look at this community at a time that was very transitional for the tribe. And it has two narrators. One is Nana Push, and he is an old man who has lost his entire family, his wife and his children, to consumption, so tuberculosis, which devastated the community. And the other narrator is Pauline, who is, she begins and she's a young girl and she is just an outcast. She is very unlikable. And so people treat her pretty horribly. So I will say I find her to be an unlikable character, but also a very sympathetic one because people treat her horribly. And of course that just contributes to her making bad choices 
and doing things that are cruel, but you still have a lot of empathy for her. They are the narrators, but then there is this central character named Fleur Pillager. And the Pillager family is known as a powerful one. And so if they are wronged, there are only two now remaining Pillagers. There's Fleur and then her cousin Moses. And if you do them wrong, they will basically take revenge on you. And it's not like they'll come out and kill you, but they will use the medicine that they know and they will make sure that something happens to you. So Fleur Pillager comes to town for a while. Pauline is working in this business and sort of caring for her cousin's child and just admires Fleur and thinks she's amazing and wants to be her in this admiring way, but also this envious way. And I don't want to give anything away, but Fleur is so powerful and so smart and so strong. And she is just, she's beautiful. And people don't always like her because she makes them uncomfortable, but they also want to be near her. I don't know. It's a complicated thing. She's just almost this legendary figure in the moment that she's living, but something happens to her that makes her power change. And I don't want to give that away, but Pauline witnesses it. And that really changes the way Pauline sees her and sees herself. So Pauline is outside of the community. Nana Push is at the center and he is hilarious. He is a talker and he talks about all the times that he's gotten out of trouble just by talking and wearing other people out or when he's really sick, he says that he stayed alive just by talking. He just wouldn't stop talking. And so that kept him awake. And he loves to play tricks on people. And he teases Pauline a lot in a way that is funny. Some of it's also cruel. But he knows that her intentions are bad at one point in the book. And so he takes great delight in like playing these pranks on her. I will say they are complex, complex characters. But what we see here is. Basically, this is the time that a lot of these families lost their land. And the tracks of the title are, you know, you see physical tracks in the woods. Some of the time it's tracking for hunting. Some of the time it's the footprints left by the people who are in this community. But tracks are also the writing that really changes the world of these people. And Nana Push went to school so he can read, but he does not want to get power that would make him complicit with the people who are taking the land. So he resists a leadership role, even though he could read and he could write, which gives him a different sort of power than a lot of people in the tribe have. And that decision has lasting consequences. Sorry, it's kind of wandering because there's so much encompassed in the book. There's this reverence for story. And again, with Nana Push, the talking There are moments of great humor. There is a lake monster (laughs) that plays into it. That is an amazing part of the book. There's a love story. There's sex. There's death. There's just everything. And it's only 200 pages. There's so much packed into this book. And rereading it was just an amazing experience. So yeah, that is Louise Erdrich's Tracks. Yeah, that sounds amazing, Jen. I have only read Love Medicine, I think, of hers, which I absolutely loved. But I don't think I I mean, she has so many books. And I just don't think that I have read the others. I'll have to think about whether I've read any of the others. But I mean, 
definitely I haven't read many of them. And I mean, her work just seems so amazing. So she's another one who, when we're talking about backlist, I really want to work my way through at least some of hers, including her more recent ones too. Cause I just, I know that her work is so amazing and I loved love medicine so much. I think I've read it multiple times, but I just haven't visited the others. So good to know that that one's short too. So that yes. sounds like a good place to start maybe. It really made me want to reread the rest. This is the only one I had reread or I had read more than once and I have not reread any of the others, but it did make me want to just go through. Yeah. Her whole backlist because she's phenomenal. All right. Well, we would love to hear if you've read any of these books or what books you are reading that were published before 2000. If you are working through the reading challenge, we would love to know how that's going for you. If you have not checked out the reading challenge yet, you can do that at unabridgedpod.com slash reading challenge 2022. And you can join a conversation about that challenge where people are offering suggestions and support. And we're just cheering each other on as we work through the challenge this year. To end our episode, we are going to do our Give Me One, and this is one birthday tradition your family has. Sarah, what's one birthday tradition in your family? Um, my family is really close, um, like my extended family. So uh, for our birthdays, we always have a birthday dinner of some sort. So my parents and my sister and her family and my aunt and uncle and my grandma, we always do some sort of dinner. So it will either be something that we make or we will we'll go out to dinner or get in like 2020, 2021, 2022, yeah. we <laughs> doing takeout and do and eating at home. But we always have a big meal together. That's so nice. Yeah. Yeah. My husband's family does a lot of that too. <laughs> All right, Ashley, how about you? So something that we try to do is sometimes we we do parties and stuff, but sometimes we also try to do experiences instead. And so we will look for ways to do something that is like a birthday experience um, instead of maybe the more traditional approach. And so that's been really fun. And we don't that doesn't happen every time. Like sometimes for the kids, we do a party instead or, you know, that kind of thing. But I think some of the most memorable birthday experiences we've had have been related to an experience or a trip or something like that, that, you know, was really special for the family, even if we were doing something different and not always with the community that we would want to celebrate with. We've found ways to make it really fun and special. So that's a big thing for us. What about you, Jen? So this has been a fairly recent tradition and my family has some, my husband's family has one, but one that we have just with my husband and me and our boys is they love scavenger hunts. So when we do just our gifts for them, we will set up a scavenger hunt and yeah, they will just have to follow the clues. And usually that's for the the more, you know, the bigger gift that my husband and I have gotten for one of our sons. So yeah, it's a lot of fun to put together. As they've gotten older, it's been fun to make the clues a little harder and make them work a little harder for that. And yeah, so it's not that, Hey, here's your gift. And in 30 seconds, it's over. <laughs> it draws it out a little bit. And then it's a triumphant moment when they find the gift and get to open it. So it's really sweet. That is sweet. Yeah. That's We picked up doing that too at a much lower level because my kids are younger, yeah. but we started doing it during quarantine because that was a way to make what felt maybe not, spe- you know, it was like an mm-hmm. adjustment 
to something that could make fun a day that might have felt a little disappointing when it was just us and we were away from everybody else at home. So yeah, that's really fun. They're, they're good fun. We do that at Christmas and Easter with my family. And yeah, the boys like that so much that we've, we've kind of spread out that tradition for multiple <laughs> holidays. <laughs> my kids like that too. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening. And on Monday, you can let us know one birthday tradition your family has. We make that post on social media. And so, yeah, we'd love to hear one of your birthday traditions. Thanks so much for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod or on the web at unabridgedpod.com for ways to support us. To get more involved, you can sign up for our newsletter, join a buddy read, or become an ambassador. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.